This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. It's been a couple of months since I did one of these, and I've got some catch-up to do with some uh, reviews of some games, and this is going to be a little bit different uh, format of an episode. Uh, so what I'm going to do first, I'm going to cover the main topic first, which will be pretty brief, and then I'll jump into doing some of the reviews. Now, typically, what I end up doing is, uh, this is mostly filled with negative reviews, uh, because you know anything that is a positive review usually gets the video treatment and that kind of thing. Uh, so today, though, I'm going to actually cover mostly positive, I think, uh, in the list of games. Let's see, I've got a list here of... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games I'm going to talk about. I won't go too long on any of them. Some of them that I talk about will eventually get the video treatment, but it'll be a little bit of time. I'll explain why in a second. So we're going to get to those. That'll be fun. And then, but first, I wanted to kind of cover a topic, uh, sort of a general topic about some of just the, the content that's upcoming on the channel. And just kind of throw out kind of a general sort of feeler for, for feedback on some of this stuff. Uh, so a couple of months ago, I ran a game found uh, project and got uh, funding for a new laptop, which was awesome. You can see the last few videos, or last several videos now are all in 4K and they look great, I think. So uh, that's been wonderful. And also the sponsorship, which was mentioned at the beginning of the podcast slash video uh it came in from game toppers and that came in with a little bit extra funds and so that basically got us to the stretch goal that i had to do my top 50 games of all time again um and i've got a couple of ideas i'm going to do something broad strokes just like this uh because regardless if i hit the top 50 i was going to do sort of a pseudo top 50 i think i still want to do that so what i'm going to do is i'm going to do uh, it'll be over the course of a week and I'm, I think right now I'll do four videos, so like, you know, Monday through Thursday or something like that. And it will be basically like coverage of the game room slash the studio. Because I get questions about that, uh, you know, wh what you're kind of set up and, you know, where your paint stuff at and, you know, what games are still on your shelf and that kind of thing. And that is kind of like a top 50. Now I have more than 50 games on my shelf. Um, but in some ways, I think that's probably, you know, more telling of a uh, you know indicator of my preferences so let's say of the games is the stuff that i still keep around now the top 50 is like the cream of the cream but uh you know the stuff that i keep in my shelf that's kind of an important indicator right so i'll cover that so i think i'm going to do basically one video which will be kind of a general overview kind of a studio breakdown here's where the camera is and the little equipment thing because i get questions about that and then the tuesday and wednesday will be one shelf on tuesday another shelf on Wednesday, and those, those would be the shelves you see behind me, because uh, they're like the main game shelves. I'll do that. I do have other stuff around uh, the room. Like I've got some stuff in the closet here. My entire Shadows of Brimstone collection is all in the closet because it's <laughs> just ridiculous. So uh, that will that kind of stuff will cover on Monday. So we'll do the general room Monday, shelf, shelf, and then Thursday would be like my miniature shelf, my Age of Sigmar shelf, because I've got my nine armies there. And I'd get questions about that, you know, so I'll figure, well, I'll put that in its own video. Because if I tried to do it all in one video, it would just be like three hours long and it'd be really boring to make <laughs> and, and to watch. Uh, so if I can chop it up, uh, then I think that will be good. So I'll do that. And then, you know, a little bit of time after that, I'll do my top 50 and do five videos. 
you know, breaking down and cutting them up into groups of 10, like I did before, I think probably three years ago, maybe a little over three years ago now. Uh, so I'm going to do that. So kind of my general thought is if there's any kind of ideas people had about that format, cause I'm not super sure. It seems like the format should work fine. Um, you know, I don't see any problems with it, but for some reason it took me, I don't know, a couple of days of thinking about it because I was like, how should I really do this? Cause I want to do it in such a way that I don't do like 40 videos, you know, like I could do the minute, you know, like a video about each shelf. Cause I've seen other channels do that and that's fine. But I mean, after a couple of them, I kind of tune out and I just will randomly choose one. So I don't want to do like too many videos, but I also don't want like a too long of one video either. Cause then I'll, I mean, if I was watching it, I would totally check out as well. So any kind of feedback or just if you have something kind of out of the blue or out of left field regarding that kind of content, then, you know, let me know. Cause maybe there's some cool ideas in there or something to get excited about making. Uh, but yeah, that's going to come as kind of a general week of, you know, overview of the room and the collection and all that. Because there's a lot of other stuff here, like, you don't see me even talk about. I've got a little, you know, shelf of RPG books and stuff like that. You know, just little things that are just, you know, just little things like that. And then we'll do the top 50. So any feedback is great. Um, so yeah, so let's, uh, that's the topic. <laughs> Not much of a topic. Uh, but we do have like nine games to talk about. And so let's go take a quick little break. Maybe get a little drink or something, uh, you know, smoke if you got them, <laughs> and then we'll jump into doing some reviews here. All right, and we are back with some reviews, and per usual, I'll kind of work my way up the mountain here. Uh, we're going to start kind of in negative town, and then in this episode, we're going to work ourselves up into really, really positive town. <laughs> so th that's that's good. I'm, I'm glad that the podcast is going to get some uh, some more love here in that way. Uh, so, uh, some of these games I don't actually own. Um, I, I have a buddy that lives uh, the next state over, so I go over there once in a while and play games over there with some friends of mine. And some of these I'm very glad to have been exposed to and have reached out to publishers after playing them and been like, Hey, you have any copies of this left? And, uh, and so some of them have taken me up on the offer, but it'll be a little bit of time because some of the stuff's kind of like out of print and stuff. So, but I figured why not just cover it and give folks kind of a heads up because some of the stuff might be, you know, going to another print run here in a couple of months. I don't have any real keen insight, so I don't want to give any dates or anything, but I think some of these will, but, uh, let's, uh, start off with the uh, bad news first, so to speak. Uh, the first game I'm going to talk about is Cryptid Urban Legends. This is from Osprey Games. Uh, if you know me and have watched the channel at all, you'll know I am a gigantic fan of the original Cryptid. I mentioned in the uh, beginning of the podcast my top 50. Spoiler alert, this is going to be decently up the list of the top 50 games. Uh, I really enjoy Cryptid. Uh, this Cryptid uh, Urban Legends was a kind of a huge letdown. Uh, played it, tried it a few times, uh, with a friend of mine and we tried to really try to work it out cause I really feel like I was missing something. Um, but after kind of coming through the rules again and again and trying to play it again and talking through some of the strategies, it just really feels borderline broken, uh, the way the game works. Um, so what it is, it's, it's, it's kind of a neat game, uh, mechanically wise, it's a card game and each player has like a little deck of cards and one player is the cryptid. The other one is the hunter. And you have these, um, 
like little disks that represent kind of where you're searching or where you're hiding if you're the cryptid. So you have these different size and colored disks and you lay out like kind of like this sort of growing and expanding and ever shrinking and expanding again, little pyramid of cards that are like locations and your disks will be on there and you'll have these like different colored cubes and that represents sort of different types of information or something like that. It's pretty abstract. And the cards, the deck of cards that each player has will move those cubes around and based on the number and color of the cubes and how they are kind of like next to each other and in proximity. So if you've got like four cubes on both sides of a card or red cubes on the card or something, you're trying to manipulate it so that you get a certain sort of abstract configuration. And then the cryptid will kind of name one of those setups and anything that you know, like equals true to whatever the cryptid says is where their disks can kind of expand from, but they have to expand from pre-existing disks. So yeah, all of this stuff I'm telling you is pretty mechanical and abstract. So you're trying as the cryptid to sort of move your disks through this sort of board that's made up of cards and get through kind of to the end. And there's also like these, uh, I forget, forget what they call, they're kind of like victory point tokens. You can collect those as well. So the object of the game if the hunter is to trap the cryptid so they can't expand out and they only have basically one disc left and the object of the cryptid is to get to the edges of the cards that are outlined in the pyramid and again the pyramid kind of grows and shrinks now if neither of those conditions happen then whoever collected most of those victory point conditions uh when you go through the deck of cards uh is the winner but the way that those victory point tokens come out is based on how the location deck that you're going through is dealt out. And that really, like once we kind of broke it down, we sort of realized that, hey, how these are dealt out, once we were both were kind of in tune with how the game worked and how to kind of be good at it, how those victory point tokens are are, um, are dealt out will actually determine the victor every time. Now we played it you know, probably five times or so. Um, and once we kind of got the gist of like, okay, as long as I don't get trapped and as long as, you know, the opposing player doesn't let the cryptid get to the both edges, that's fair, fairly easy to do with some of the back and forth in the card play. Then you're going after the victory point tokens once you kind of get to equal skill. And then it's just like, okay, well, if it's on the left side, you win. If it's on the right side, I win. Because it's easy to go. There's kind of like a catch-up mechanism where you can kind of refresh your sort of wild card when the other person gets a victory point token. So it's kind of, uh, you're going to go back and forth and you're going to go, okay, well I can get this one. No problem. There's no way he can get it. So I'm going to get that one. And then he's going to get the other one and you're going to get that one. And then it's back and forth. And then whoever gets the last one is going to win. And it's really just really, really abstract and not that fun at all. <laughs> um, you know, the it's, it's just not very fun and it feels like it's, Whoever gets that last victory point token, whatever if it flops on whatever side is most advantageous, um, then that person's going to win. So, you know, maybe there's some back and forth between that and the actual condition. If you know that, you know, you're not, you might get screwed out of that last one, but you're not really going to know that until it flops. Anyway, it's just very, very mechanical and dry, and I just don't recommend it whatsoever. So that's uh, Cryptid Urban Legends. No fun. Uh, the next one, I should know better than to have tried this game, but I'm going to mention it anyway um, because I was really excited for it and then it just did not turn out um, at all. Um, and this is a game called Storm Weavers. And this is kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book 
you know, one of those kind of uh, you know, books where you jump from page to page, you read to the passage and says, if you choose this, go to page or item 136. And if you choose this, go to item 256. And then you go through the story that way. And, but the thing that it had about it that I thought was going to make it actually interesting because I have tried a few of these modern ones of this style of book and I just have not liked like any of them. Uh, but this one seemed neat because it would have encounters and it has like little mini boards that you would break out and say, use this map board. And there's like two or three, but they were double sided. So there's like four or six boards in there. And he had like a little token and tokens for the monster. So you had like little combats, little tiny, you know, very, very minimalist, abstract, miniature style combat uh, with basically hex encounter tokens things. And then that would kind of spice up the game a little bit more. But it just, that was not that interesting, you know, and I didn't really expect it to be that interesting. And the game kind of said that it, it kind of touted that it could be replayed, you know, somehow. Like there would be enough sort of variety. It was going to come in a really thick book. Uh, but it just didn't really satisfy uh, that, you know, that sort of marketing speak. It just, I don't think you could really play through it more than once and have fun with it. And even the one time was not really that fun to me. Uh, it, it was like very, I felt uninspired storytelling and just kind of A to B, you know, kind of like, okay, you got to this point, to this point, and now you're going to roll some dice or now you're going to flop the map board out. There wasn't really anything sort of jazzed up about it or interesting or anything like that. Um, Legacy of Dragonholt was one uh, that I did mostly like. There was a couple of, uh, I think I had some criticisms about it, but I generally liked that game. I liked a lot, a lot of parts of that game anyway. And, uh, and so I've been kind of trying to find something else that was in that sort of similar vein. Uh, but I just haven't been able to find anything that really hits that. And I was hoping the storm weavers would be kind of something like that. And with its whole, like, okay, now let's break out into sort of a mini board game and do combat. Oh, neat. Okay, cool. And the story will kind of drive that, but it just was very, like, felt like very much checking a box. Like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I've sort of satisfied all of these kind of different, you know, uh, buzzwords or something. And it just did not work out very well. Um, anyway, so that's Stormweavers. This one's not really that well known. But I, I thought it was worth mentioning because I was excited about it and it just kind of disappointing. Okay, so those are the two, like, really massive disappointments. Um, the rest of this stuff is there. I'm going to talk about it has some, certainly has some merit. Uh, now, the next one, though, as we work up our, our ranks here, is a Charterstone. Uh, it's an older game from Stonemaier Games. And based off sort of the strength of playing uh, My City, uh, I believe it was last year or the year before, uh, then uh, my family decided, I decided that my family might like Charterstone because we all really, really liked uh, My City. It was great. And My City is like a really sort of light, you know, easygoing legacy game where you're... Uh, kind of constantly uh, building up and destroying cities and building routes from like mines and stuff. And I did a review of it. There's been a bunch of reviews of it. Uh, designer was Reiner Knizia. And I was like, okay, this is really good. This is, it's fun. It's a legacy game. You can play it over the course of a few weeks and get through it and really kind of grow and expand the complexity of the game and the strategies of the game. It's a cool, like, you know, growing and learning sort of process type of thing. So I said, hey, I never got a chance to try Charterstone back in the day. Let's try that. That should work. And I will say, we didn't actually finish it because we got bored of it. Uh, we played, I think it was six games of it. And it was fun. Like, honestly, it was really fun. 
Um, but it was sort of a letdown coming off of My City. Because uh, I think My City is, is a better game. I had more fun with it. And Charterstone starts off really basic. I mean, My City did too. Um, and then it kind of adds on some different uh, layers and stuff. It's a, it's a big kind of resource conversion game. At its heart, it's a worker placement game. Uh, you're building up kind of this general village in the center of the board. Everybody has their own little like sector and sort of their asymmetrical types of buildings and abilities and stuff that they will be kind of responsible for um, and have sort of abilities and stuff that kind of, you know, build on top of that. And then you start to add in more buildings, unlock new stuff and put stickers on the board and get new like uh, assistant cards and stuff that will give you abilities. And it's really, really neat. But it just kind of after a while, I was like, oh, gosh, it's just this resource conversion sort of loop. Right. So you put the guy out there, you get the gold and you convert the gold into money so you can spend the money to unlock the box and open the new cards and rip the stickers off and put them on there and kind of go into the loop. And then you get like, as you go through, I mean, uh, it's this legacy game, so I don't really want to spoil anything, but it's been out several years, but let's just say you get new types of workers, there's new types of resources and there's new types of things. So it just kind of grows in complexity again. And I think it's a really good game actually, but it was just like not satisfying enough it was too abstract somehow. And it's this is sort of almost hypocritical in a way because My City is very, very abstract. Um, but the thing with My City was is you could play two, three games of that back to back to back. And that made it really fun. Like each game is about a half an hour or so. Whereas a game of Charterstone was about an hour, maybe a little oh, into an hour and a half you know, into that. Once you, you're talking about setup and and kind of revisiting the rules and the rule changes and you know all baking all that into the playtime. Um, and then once you get into that, you're like, oh, we're just doing this again. It's like, okay, well now there's a special worker. There's this new colored cubes that came out. Let's say, and okay, now how does this factor in how to win? And it just didn't really deliver all the way and i wouldn't go so far as to say i don't recommend charterstone i think i probably would i think people would get their money worth out of it and you get like i think what is it eight or i think it's like 12 plays you can get out of it and and there's like a reboot pack you can get so if you really like it you, you don't have to like you know go buy a whole new copy of it the reboot pack i think is pretty reasonable i think it's around 20 bucks so if you're like oh, we really like that we can do the reboot back and like kind of reset everything uh, and play through it at least one more time because I think you know you just play on the other side of the board. So it just the shine kind of wears off. Like I said, that loop, that sort of similar resource conversion. I place a guy here, get this resource, convert this resource into that, and this goes into points or to buildings or to paying for something. It's just kind of very iterative. And it, um, if it weren't a legacy game, right, then um, I don't know that I'd be really interested in it at all. Um, because it's just really basic worker placement stuff, you know, whereas my city is, like I said, it's a quick game. It's like 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes. And it's got that really discreet kind of almost delicately abstract play. That's like, you know, bam, 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 bam. And I'm putting all these things in this right thing. It's got the whole spatial puzzle part of it. And so it's just easier to kind of, you know, gobble that up and then go, oh yeah, this is, this was fun. Let's just play it again real quick. And that whole loop is a little bit better. Whereas, you know, like I said, with Charstone, it's a little bit just kind of like a dry, basic medium euro. And then I've got the legacy thing kind of tacked in there. Um, 
So, but it wasn't terrible. So we just got kind of petered out on it and said, nah, we don't need to finish this. So that was Charterstone. Uh, the next one here is a somewhat newish uh, miniature game called Bot War. It's an independent game. And this on surface was something I was pretty excited to try. Uh, Bot War is basically like if you think of Transformers, although they don't transform, but <laughs> they look very similar to Transformers. It's a miniature skirmish game. And the models look very similar to like, you know, Autobots and Decepticons and stuff like that. And you have, uh, um, you know, different, lots of different factions. And there's, the lore of it is really, really cool. Like, there's a lot of interesting things. Because it's kind of like these alien robots come to Earth. And they kind of divide things up into factions. And then they splinter off into lots of different factions. And there's more like chaos-y types of things. And, uh, you know, ones that work with the humans. And ones that are pure, like sort of just evil. Want to take over the world. And... Uh, ones that are like, you know, like the Dinobots or whatever, the insects and all these different factions that you can play with. And so, um, and then you, you can just play through different scenarios and stuff. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think there's any real sort of narrative campaign or anything. Um, the problem I have with the game is it's, it's, it's has a lot going for it. I think the lore and stuff is really neat. And I got really into that and I like that the variety of factions. I like the variety of models. I will say the models, though, for the price, and I know it's an independent game, so it's you kind of have to juggle a little bit of uh, swords in the air here, but it's independent, so the price is going to be a little bit higher because it's just the mass production isn't there, and it's a 15-millimeter scale. So I know people, some of you might chime in and say, well, Games Workshop's really expensive. Well, yes, <laughs> but these are these are smaller models, and the quality of the models is not super hot. Like, they're not terrible, but they're not that great. And then when you look at the price that, that they're charging for, it's just a real tough pill to swallow because I just don't know that it's worth it. And then the, the type of, uh, uh, well, some of it's plastic and some of it's resin, um, but uh, it's a kind of a weird, all of it might be resin actually, but it's, it's some of it, it's just a strange material which does not feel like the highest quality of material. Um, and the gameplay loop, though, is pretty interesting because it's kind of, if you're listening to this and you're kind of a Euro gamer, like a uh, type of you know person, this has an interesting thing where each of the different um, bots that you take will generate a certain amount of uh, like energy cubes, like energon cubes, and then you can spend those cubes to activate whatever miniature you want on your team. So they're like command points. So they generate a bunch of command points and then who you want to spend those on, you could spend them mostly on, you know, one or two models in your team and just really, f you know, focus fire with them or have them do a whole bunch of activities and let the other folks kind of uh, stay back a little bit. And that, that is kind of an interesting thing, but in practice, it felt a little bit... I don't know. It's difficult because some of the scenarios kind of interact with that mechanic too. Um, so it just wasn't that, that really innovative or interesting. So this is one that I thought was really neat and really cool, but the price is a little bit high. Again, it's an independent company, so it's tough to, you know, they, they have to, they have a certain like, uh, you know, threshold they have to hit to make a profit and stay in business. Um, so I recommend folks maybe check into this. There are some videos out there on YouTube of the, the gameplay and stuff. Um, check into it. And I think the starter box is actually a decent uh, price. But once you get into some of the factions and stuff, um, some of the pricing just goes really high. Um, 
and you know high enough that's for me to mention it because again you have to remember these are 15 millimeter models and you don't get a whole lot in like a you know a faction box and that kind of stuff um or even some of the standalone ones that are a little bit bigger um pretty expensive but um it's a neat game i just don't know that i would recommend it um i'd probably recommend like i said folks go take a look at it and check it out and see if it's something that is interesting like i said the lore is really cool um you know it's it's uh you know, I'm not trying to say it's like earth-shattering drama, but it's just a fun, neat thing with all the different robot factions and stuff. Uh, they did a really good job with that part of it. Um, so anyway, that's a bot war. I'll take a look at that one. And the next one I'm going to talk about here, speaking of Euro games, is way on the Euro game side of things. This is a Friedman Freeze design called Fayum. And this came out, I think, a couple years ago. And I had a chance to try this uh, with some friends. And it's kind of like a sort of a Concordia or Flotilla type of game where you have kind of like a hand of cards or a deck of cards where you're playing cards. Like you play a card, play a card, play a card, and then you got to pick them all up. So you can't play the card until you've picked them up. And you are building sort of like little trade routes in like uh, some ancient civilization. I can't remember what because I don't have the game. But you're building all these different trade routes and uh, taking over like cities and area control kind of stuff. And then build, grabbing some of those cards that you can kind of purchase and add to your hand or add to your deck and then score big old bonus points at the end of the game. And I will say, we just played it the one time. We played a five-player game of it. And I would say I would not recommend it with at five. Um, it had the end game sort of cadence is, is really kind of off kilter where you can kind of get sort of sideswiped by the end game trigger i think um with five it's just too i don't know difficult or i mean again it was my first play but i, I don't we kind of talked about it as a group with some of the people that had played it a few times and it was kind of like yeah five was not a great number to play this with and uh because just the way that the turn order kind of goes around uh can kind of sideswipe a few people from just cutting their knees off um but it is very concordia-esque and you know, I have to say, I think I'd rather play Concordia. It's a little bit more, um, I don't know, this makes a little bit more sense in terms of the theme and how things all kind of integrate in the mechanics and everything. But I, this is one, is, it, like, this is kind of in the middle of the list, right? So it's one that I would probably try again, although I wouldn't be that excited to do it because it, I don't know, it's just kind of abstract. But, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd play it again. With like you know maybe two or three people and see how that worked, um, but I'm I'm always interested to check out a Friedman Freeze game. Um, you know, eight eight nine times out of ten, I enjoy them, and they're interesting. And uh, this one is certainly interesting, but it just too much like it feels too much like Concordia. I'm like, this feels like Friedman Freeze played Concordia and was like, oh, and because he's a genius, he's like, I can design this, <laughs> and then he just did it, and then you know he just probably woke up the next day after playing Concordia or something. Maybe not. I'm just, you know, messing around. But, and then he just like, oh, here's a game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I would take a look at it. If you're like a huge Concordia fan, I don't know if I'd recommend it actually. Cause you'd be like, oh, this is cool. I'd rather play Concordia. <laughs> That's kind of how I am. Um, but it's on its own. It's like a decent little game. You know, it's a, it's a fine little game, but I would stay away from the five player count. I think it's just the way that the turn structures kind of, come about and the way the end game triggers didn't really seem to hit us too well okay so that's uh Fayum. and then we got four more to go here and i'll just preface this by saying these are all 
uh, things I would love to do a video review about. And some of these I certainly will. Um, and some are up in the air and it may not, it may be a while because of the printing situation. Uh, but first let's go to, uh, the great wall. This is from awaken realms and I've only had a chance to play this co-op, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, we have played it twice co-op so far and I do plan to play it, uh, uh, competitively, hopefully one day. And, and then I'll do a review after I play competitively, but, uh, and I get a copy of it, but, um, this game is really, really, really neat. It's very, very crunchy. Uh, I, I didn't know quite what to expect. Some of my friends, they had, they had played it a couple times already. They'd played it competitively and they really enjoyed it. So I was really, they were really hyping it up for me. And, uh, I gotta say it lived up to the hype that they had given me. Um, and now the, I was the copy that my friend had, he had like the fully blinged out Kickstarter, um, uh, you know, uh, well not Kickstarter, sorry, game found, uh, edition with the, with like the, the, the wash and all that stuff. And they did a really good job. Like the components on that, the sun drop wash, they call it, um, Awaken Realms does that where they kind of do this sort of colored wash on all the different miniatures and components. They've really improved, uh, that process, uh, over time. I've kind of seen it, you know, cause back during like Lords of Hellas and then, um, uh, Tainted Grail and Nemesis and and now uh, the Great Wall. Uh, the process of that is is like wow. I don't even need to paint these. Um, you know, some of the original ones I'd be like, oh, I, I didn't want to spray you know spray them and paint them myself because it's just, it's okay, but it's it's not that good looking. Some of the older ones, but the new one I was like, I, you know, he when he broke it out, I was like, I literally would not want to even paint these, you know, because they looked so good. So that's neat. Um, but what it is, is you, you're all in the cooperative game, obviously you're cooperatingly, uh, building the great wall of China and, uh, fending off invaders and going to kind of like a little worker placement spots to get different resources and get that kind of thing and get sort of like, uh, I forget what they're called. They're like little merchants. You can say, you can put one of your workers out as like kind of a merchant and they'll kind of go up the different tracks for some of the different resources so that when like the production phase happens, they'll still generate more income for you and stuff. But it's not like a normal worker placement game. You don't just like put the worker out and that's it. You have these cards and it's a very, very sort of small hand of cards. And when you play the card, it'll say something like, you know, put one worker, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but it's like put one worker in this place and then three other workers wherever you want. And then when you play that card, everybody else can put two workers in these two different spots. So it's worker placement controlled by a card-driven engine. Everybody has the same identical deck or hand of cards. It's not very many. And you cannot get those cards back. So similar to Concordia or Fayum, you don't get those cards back and play them, you know, like at the end of the round. When you play the card, that's it. That's your round. And then everybody else is going to play cards and, and everybody else's cards is going to trigger your worker placement. Um, and then there are ways to get it back. I believe when you build a section of the wall, you can get a card back or you get all your cards back. Yep. Um, and then I think there's another ability that will like do that to trigger that. So that's something to kind of build into your strategy of like, okay, if I do this then I can get this card back next round and da da da. And that sort of card driven worker placement is just really, really neat. And we were playing a cooperative and at the end of the second play, I was like, man, I really want to play this competitive because I love this sort of, 
you know, lead and follow mechanic like Glory to Rome or Puerto Rico or something like that. But it's still like a worker placement game. Like just by just that by itself just gets me excited to play it because that's a really kind of interesting sort of mashing uh, innovative way to look at those two mechanics. Um, now, I can speak to the co-op part right now is it was funny because we got our face kicked in the first game and then we kind of saw a full on mistake that we made that we didn't really we, sh- we probably should have seen. But again, it was like the first time I'd played it and it had been a while since they played it. And, uh, so we kind of reset and then we, uh, you know, we played again and some of these events that come out because there's no, there's no really like an AI, there kind of is an AI, but it's the same AI that would exist in the competitive game with the hordes coming in, trying to invade and different things like that. But there's an event deck that happens in the co-op game, uh, which doesn't exist in the, um, uh, the competitive game. And then some of the goals and stuff that you have to achieve, because basically you have to achieve, I think, seven goals by the end of the game. Um, and some of those will work out a little differently in co-op. But <laughs> some of those events are like, every, when we would flop them, we'd be like, this is ridiculous. This is so broken. Like, how could they just, who put this deck together? And then we'd be like, oh, wait. Oh, no, we could we can do this. I think we can do this. And it was really tight and fun and just kind of nail-biting. Because when you flip those events, some of them are just like, you're like, what? I spent the whole game trying to build up this little engine here with my merchants. And now, like, you've deleted all my merchants. And, like, what's the point of this game if you're just going to do that? And, um, but, like, I'm saying all that, like, in the best way. Because it's just like, man, this game is really throwing the kitchen sink at you. And you got to try to work around it. And that's a really fun, fun uh, part of that thing. So again, I want to play competitive and it, man, if the competitive, I just feel like the competitive will be better than the co-op. And I still really enjoy the co-op. Um, I say my only kind of knock against the co-op would be it's a little, little bit abstract number crunchy for a co-op game. Uh, you know, and it, like I you know, we play board games, so that's part of the deal, but it was just a little bit anti-thematic, just a bit, not too much. Not enough to you know make me not want to play it, but there were certain points because of the difficulty of some of those events. It was like okay, we need to really sit down, take a breath, think this out, count this stuff out. How is this really going to work? And that's just a slightly uh, immersion breaking in terms of the theme, uh, because the, the theme was really kind of banging on all cylinders in a lot of other ways uh, with the mechanics. But then some of that stuff just kind of sucked you out of that and got you into the number crunching side of it. Um, but again, uh, you know, jury's still a little bit out on this, but I've really, really enjoyed my two plays of it. And I honestly cannot wait to uh, try it competitively. And uh, and hopefully, I think this is one that we'll should be getting a review probably a little bit later on the summer or something like that. So that's Great Wall from Awakened Realms. Uh, next thing we're talk about is uh, Carnegie from uh, Quinned Games. Uh, only played this one time and I played this one fairly recently and this is one that I, I saw and you know had some buzz about it and had some buzz in my group and I looked at it and I was like uh, this looks a little bit kind of like a lot of stuff I've seen before and after having played it I wouldn't say that I was necessarily wrong about that because there's a lot of sort of um typical hallmarks about a Euro game and economic style game that I've seen before, but this also does a lot of things differently. Um, 
this is a tricky one because it's it's a little mechanic heavy, but I thought the theme actually came out really well because you're kind of running each each player is kind of running sort of a multi-dimensional corporation that's involved. It feels like involved in like a lot of different aspects of things, right? You're just kind of you're you're kind of like a multinational conglomerate kind of feel to it. Like you're not really specifically. I don't know, like into trains or textiles or, you know, what is shipping certain goods. You're very, very sort of abstractly involved in lots of different kinds of businesses. That's kind of the theme, I think. And then also there's some like a philanthropic angle and stuff like that. And so you have kind of the main board, which is the United States. And then you have you do have some route building and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the train delivery system. And then you have this thing, which is very strange, because you have workers that are on your personal board. And these little personal like rooms or offices that you build and those offices and rooms do all the different things. So there's like four different types. There's like human resources and production and different types of buildings. You can build, you know, multiples of different kinds of buildings, but they're all like maybe the same type. So you can like three or four human resources buildings or rooms, I should say, on your main building board. And then, you know, other little offices and stuff. So you have workers on there, but then you can send them out to the map into the different regions. And when you trigger like income and stuff, you'll pull those off and you will get certain like income based on maybe how many workers you had there and pulled off. And then you'll have this like weird sliding thing on your main board, your personal board that are like these four production tracks and they like slide out of your board. So there's like double layered, triple layered almost cardboard on your main player board and you slide like these big sticks in and as you pull them out, they start to generate more and more income. So you can see it kind of visually like these cogs and this like conveyor belt come out of your board. It's really cool, but it also makes a lot of sense. Like it, it works. And so, like I said, you have the workers on your main board and then you're sending them out and you're pulling them back and you're sending them out and you're pulling them back. And then you're shuffling around between the different offices and the different rooms because you might want to do certain things. So all of those kind of main uh, like room types are also tied to some of the main actions in the board and you build. And this is the thing that probably turned me off. I know it did when I saw the original game, it's like you have this really funky action selection board and something about that kind of turns me off. So you shuffle up these tiles and then you kind of order them in different ways. And it kind of dictates sort of the general order that some of these actions in, in income phases will take place. And then each player takes a turn kind of moving one track to the, to the right from the left. So once you kind of move it down these four different tracks, which are all kind of shuffled up and stacked differently, then you're sort of locking stuff out. So you're like, oh, well, never going to have that income step again on this track. We'd have to have it on you know one of the other tracks. It's, it's hard to explain, but um, just that sort of like randomized action selection thing. It's just I've not seen it work really in a game for me. It just seems very artificial. Like it's just sort of artificially a puzzle. You know, it's like, oh, here's a little brain teaser. You know, remember the order of stuff. Like it's just like so on the sleeve, artificially mind numbing. But in this, it works. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it in this game. Um, because just it's the whole balance of sort of dealing with some kind of external economical sort of influence and it's very easy to read and parse though so i give it some credit for that where you have this thing it's like okay so 
okay, these are the three possible ones that are going to be coming up next. So knowing that, what am I going to do? And I know after that, these other ones are going to come up. So, and then you kind of internalize that and then balance that with where you basically deploy your workforce, you know, which types of offices, which regions on the board, which might be generating income. And then, you know, do I do some investments? Uh, there's like an investment giant investment board. You can invest in lots of different sort of actions and things that you would normally be doing in the game anyway. So that's kind of cool. Cause it's like, you want to get in there early. So you're like, okay, I want to invest in this thing early so that if I have like advanced on the, um, I can't remember what it's called, but each of the regions has different tracks. So you're like, okay, I, I want to try to get that. That's the thing I want to do and try to do for my end game points. And, but you got to get in there early because the more that, you know, you invest in different things, the more expensive it is to invest. So that's an interesting sort of way of sort of choosing almost your special, not special powers, but your like little asymmetric sort of end game thing. And you kind of draft that through the investment thing. So it's like, okay, this is, this is the strategy I want to use this game. I'm going to draft it. That's going to be my asymmetrical priority in the game. And that's what you do. And that, it, that kind of helps drive a lot of your decision-making and stuff. So all of these different mechanics and stuff, they really kind of cohese in a nice kind of special way. And I like the idea of kind of the, the managing of, you know, deploying your workforce, whether they're at the home office, you know, or they're out in the field kind of doing their thing. Uh, really, really fun game. This is another one I hope to get to play more, hopefully get a chance to review it. Um, and that's Carnegie. So this one I definitely recommend. If you like Euro economic games, that kind of thing at all, I think this is really going to hit hit all those marks for you. Okay, so second to last game we're going to talk about is Messina 1347. I have a ch chance to play this a few times now. Uh, some of it on Tabletop Simulator, uh, some of it in person. Uh, this is a uh, latest game from Vladimir Suchi, who did Underwater Cities, which is one of my favorite games. And he's done a lot of other games like Last Will and a game I think last year called Praga. Uh, Messina has an interesting uh, theme, kind of timely. Uh, basically, there's been a plague and uh, the player's objective is to go and help kind of remove the plague and sort of uh, cleanse or heal the town and then through the process of that then kind of start to reestablish uh, the city with some businesses and some economy and that kind of thing um really on a surface this is a really abstract game uh i'm not going to talk too much mechanics here because the theme actually comes through really well i think uh, because every round there's going to be new like plague cubes and new types of workers that come out and they might be infected you might have to quarantine them and then you can kind of uh, bring them into your city and then into like these different buildings that you can build and they can start to generate income for you and you can start to use them to kind of go back in towards the end of the game the last like two rounds and basically like repopulate the city so this is a repopulate mechanic and you kind of like mark these different neighborhoods with your player tokens and your color and those will give you some end game uh, victory points and there's a couple of different tracks and stuff uh, that you can get involved with there's like a church thing that you can get involved with and that kind of thing and the game has a nice kind of like sort of narrative arc to it where at the beginning of the game, you're really focused on sort of knocking back the plague, kind of setting up a little bit of an engine, a little bit of an economy type of thing. And then you kind of start to graduate and you get some more buildings, you get some more special abilities and stuff like that. And then you start to focus on repopulating the city at the end of the game. And those are your big end game points. 
Um, there's a weird thing, a couple of weird things. So the one thing is like the main board is built up of hexes and you'll slowly add new hexes to this like city. That's all the hexes are different, like little neighborhoods in the city. And you'll basically take worker placement actions out there and fight the plague out there and sort of rescue or recruit uh, certain types of other workers, uh, to your main board. And so that whole, there's that whole game. And then you have your main board which is this really weird like tech tree thing where you have these um, sort of specialists, let's call them, and they go up and around on these different tech trees and they start to unlock all these different kind of cool combo abilities. So if you've played a Vladimir Suchi game, uh, it reminded me a lot of Praga actually, where you start to get these sort of compounded actions where you do an action, but because you've unlocked this sort of weird circular tech tree thing. You can do this, you can do this, you can do that, and then boom, it triggers this, and this triggers that. So it has a whole kind of effect on it. It's really cool. And all of those on, on your board, those, those like, like tech tree thing, those are gonna utilize also some of those specific types of workers. So you either are putting workers there and keeping them there for a while, or putting them into some of these like industrial buildings that you can kind of build off to the side that they can generate income and stuff. And then at the end of the game, you start to move them out of those places back into the, like the neighborhood and you kind of spend them as a cost to put down one of your high point uh, neighborhood markers. So, so yeah, so it, it all works really, really well. And it's thinky in the best way possible and it's thematic in the best way possible. And I think there's also like maybe not intentionally, but maybe there's some commentary here because basically what you're going in and doing is you're clearing out the plague and you're helping all the people and you're like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this and make an economy and make myself rich. Uh, so that kind of strikes home a little bit. But, you know, I, I like this game a, a, quite a bit. And it's just really, you know, uh, smooth and integrated. Everything work flows really well. It's It definitely will feel very, very abstract, I think, at the beginning. It, it did for me. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I really like this game. It might be a little too abstract kind of modern Euro, you know, point salad, number crunchy stuff. But, you know, I've played it, let me think now, I've played it four times and different player counts. And I've played it solo even. And uh, I really enjoyed all the player counts that I played it at. It's really been, you know, rewarding uh, over the multiple plays uh, to kind of see that theme and some of those extracurricular kind of vibes kind of come out of it. Um, and it's still a really good crunchy puzzle. Um, so I really can't recommend this one enough. This is, I, I think it's one of my favorite, uh, Vladimir Suchi games. It's probably right up there behind, uh, Underwater Cities and, you know, Last Will and stuff like that's right up there with those games. Uh, so I definitely recommend Messina 1347. De definitely recommend it. Again, if you're into Euro games and stuff, this is, it's a different take. It's got a, it's got a, its own particular feel to it. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Now, the last and final game, and certainly not the least, that I want to talk about is Dead Reckoning from AEG. Uh, I will cut right to the chase. I absolutely love this game. I've played it a few times now. Uh, fortunately, I don't have the game. Uh, my friend has it. And I will say it's basically like the Mystic Veil slash, I think it's called Edge of Darkness games. I not played Edge of Darkness. I did play Mystic Veil, and it's one of these card crafting games where you have like a sleeve, and instead of building up a deck, you still have a deck of cards, but you like slip different sort of translucent cards into the sleeve, and it sort of changes the card 
um, that you have and the ability that you have. I didn't really like Mystic Veil. It was just like, okay, kind of, you know, just sort of a basic thing. And I didn't really get into it. And I understand it was, it's, it almost felt like a proof of concept for the system, for this type of thing. And it, and I think that's what it was, you know, and I just couldn't really get into it. Um, but, uh, Dead Reckoning is, take all that out of it. I mean, that's almost secondary to how good the game is. Uh, the, that mechanic works fantastic. Uh, it's great. Um, the theme of the game, um, is basically your pirates or merchants and there's pirates around. And so you have your ship and you're sailing around and you're flipping over and exploring tiles and you're sort of conquering islands and setting up bases and doing pirate stuff. And, shipping and trading goods and upgrading your pirate ship you've got this cool like board that's like this ship and you get cannons and you upgrade your storage capacity and you know through the whole card crafting mechanic you upgrade all of your crew because your cards are like your crew your captain and your your first mate and all these different things and so you can upgrade those and as you explore out kind of further from the mainland you get cards that you can you know, add to those and upgrade them in all these different ways. So the cards that you start with in your starting deck, they can all flip over and be removed and put back in the sleeves and upgrade kind of naturally, kind of like a little tech tree. But then there's all these kind of like little cool one-off abilities and stuff that can sort of combo up with the basic actions of the cards, which could be to like, you know, you know, boost your shipping or boost your combat or boost your trading and stuff like that. And you'll set up like little production buildings and some of the islands that you sort of take control over. And there's uh, the ways that you get points is you, you know, you build these buildings, you go to the islands, you, you get points for piracy. Uh, there's different like achievements and stuff that you get points for. And it's a, it's a deck building game really at, the, at its core. And that you use the cards in your deck that you've crafted up to drive your ship around and do all this fun pirate stuff. Uh, it's really fun. Like it works out really well. The theme just comes through in spades. And uh, even like the combat, it's this silly thing, but it's so cool. It's like a cube tower. You drop your cubes in, and the cubes splash out onto this special combat board. And where the cubes land is what happens. So you might take some damage because of it. You might get some sort of like, call them victory points, which will determine who actually won the battle. So whoever has the most like crowns that their cubes land on on this board will get, you know, the extra kind of victory points to contribute to the winning. And, and you might get like goods and stuff out of it and little things like that. So even when you lose a combat, you're still going to probably get some things out of it. Um, and so that's a cool little neat mechanic. And that the little cube tower is actually like a giant pirate ship, like a 3D cardboard model. <laughs> so you drop them in. It's just really neat. Um, and so one thing that we did, though, is we played with some of the expansion stuff now. And you add in. It's almost like a legacy game in a way. But not really. I mean, it's you're not tearing anything up or anything. But you are permanently changing like some of the decks of cards. And some of the cards will come with like little story things, little quick little quests kind of things that you can do. So you can interact with these cards that are in these sort of like hidden boxes. So you pull the cards out of the boxes without seeing. And you can either like deal with it kind of through normal game actions, like fight some NPC pirate, or you can go on like a little adventure and they'll just like a little book and you read it. And then based on what you do, then that card will change and get removed. You add another card in there. And then, so in a future game, then that sort of event that has happened will be sort of consistent with the rest of the world uh, through the course of the games that you played in. So the campaign structure is really neat. It's like very lightly applied 
and not something like you would even really notice like until you do right so it's not something you like you have to play so if let's say i played two games of it and then um you know billy and francesca they played two or three more games of it and then i came back i could still kind of like jump into that quote-unquote campaign without feeling like i really you know uh, anything wrong you know like i I'll have missed out on playing the game, which which is good. It was no good because it's fun. I don't want to miss out. But I can jump right back in and like, oh, okay, this happened while you were gone. And this triggered and we found this treasure on this beach and da-da-da. And so now this card could come out. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Or this other card came out from this other time. So that's not really that tight of a campaign. It's just that you're kind of playing this little sandbox of a world. And that's really cool. I really like that. That's a neat way to do it. Um, and all the mechanics and the combat and the, the way the trading and the production work and um, the way that you manage your, your actual ship and you upgrade your crew and all that stuff, it just works really, really well. Very solid and smart mechanics. It hits all of those like perfect, you know, little puzzly Euro game types of things, all those like good, strong mechanics. And then all of that theme and stuff just comes through in spades and spades and spades. Um, and so I hope to get to, to, to get this one, you know, one day, um, I think they're completely out of copies and I think they're going to come back, um, uh, with another printing here, uh, one day, uh, hopefully soon, but, um, we'll see. Uh, but this is one I was like, man, every time I, uh, I played it twice now, like I said, and whenever I've left the, left his house there, I've been like, I want to take this with me. <laughs> So uh, this one I cannot recommend enough. Uh, highly recommend it. And again, I was somebody that didn't really like the card crafting stuff that I'd played before. But to me, it's just like you don't even notice it, right? It's just, it's not just like a gimmick or anything. It's it's just part of the game. And it's just one of these cool mechanics that are exists with a lot of other cool mechanics in the game. So anyway, that's Dead Reckoning. Again, can't re- recommend it enough. And that is the uh, final review of the podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoyed those reviews there. And again, if you have any feedback on the main topic and the questions I had at the beginning, please feel free to shoot them. Any idea, you know, it's cool. I'm just kind of open to, in general, what folks might want to see in regards to anything. Because I'm just going to kind of, you know, do what I said at the beginning and kind of go from there. But I'm just not, I know some of the stuff I've been asked for specifically but I'm not super keyed into like everything. So I'm sure some of the videos will be for some people and others will be for others. So that's fine too. Okay. Thanks everybody. Have a good one.